morning, church family. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And man, thanks for braving the weather. I fully expected to wake up this morning being in the land of Oz. That wind was crazy last night, wasn't it? Yeah, well, listen, if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible app, a Bible in the chair in front of you, whatever you have, we can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're using a Bible here, page 978, it'll get you right there. While you're doing that, I want to kind of tell you about an upcoming event that I'm super excited about. It's a marriage conference put on by Paul David Tripp called Habits of a Healthy Marriage. April 26th and 27th, please mark your calendars, save the date. We'll be sending out more details, but there will be childcare. It will be Friday night, Saturday morning type thing. And if you, if you know Paul David Tripp, what you do know is he's winsome, he's hysterical, and he's gospel-centered. So you definitely want to make sure that you don't miss out on this. So in conjunction with this, Scott asked me to kick off a two-part series for us called One. And I'm really excited for this sermon series on marriage because hopefully it's not what you're expecting. You see, I didn't get married till much later in life, like 30. So, and I'm a pastor's kid. So you can only imagine how many marriage sermons I had to sit through and hear and check out. Like, especially when I got in my 20s, it's like, oh, they're preaching on sermons. Sweet, I'm tired. Take a nap. And what I didn't realize was all along, it was like I was looking at the wrong picture. It's kind of like these things. Did you ever grow up looking at these pictures? Right? The ones where either, all right, raise your hand if you love these things. Put down. Raise your hand if you absolutely hate these things. Yeah, if you hate it, you can't see it. You just see blurry dots, some color, and you're like, this is absolutely ridiculous. I can't see anything. If you're like me, I love them. You study it, you look in, you focus, and all of a sudden, a picture within a picture appears. Crystal clear. And it's like you are taken into what the true picture really is about. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk about your one true marriage. Unmarried people, you heard me right. I want to talk about your one true marriage. Now, what is it about the word marriage that elicits such a vast array of an emotional response in all of us? Right? Like some of you, as soon as you heard marriage, you immediately thought of sorrow, felt sorrow. Because you've experienced loss, or it's not here yet. Like some of you are, you think of hope. You feel hope because you're like, it's going to come. Yes, it is. Some of you have like this deep yearning for marriage. And so when you hear marriage, your just heart is just overwhelmed because it's all you desire. Some of you... Excitement, because you've been like married two days and everything's nice and <laughs> you're just so beautiful and wonderful. And, and some of you experience that excitement. It's called the honeymoon phase, right? But let's be truthful here. Some of you, as soon as you heard marriage, you had this disgust in your mouth because you've been betrayed, belittled, blindsided. Some of you think of absolute beauty in it. 
because you've actually seen where two people come together for one lifetime and commit to each other. And you think, beautiful. But if you're like my sister, there's a deep pain when you hear marriage because of divorce or abuse. It just wrecks you. And you hear marriage and all you think about is that stabbing pain. So what I want to do today, I want to make sure that you understand that marriage affects all of us in one way or another. Good, bad, doesn't matter. All of us are affected by marriage. And so today, I want to do something different from typical marriage sermons. Most marriage sermons talk about the role of husband and wife. That's not today. Today, we're going to talk about your one true marriage, the one example of it, the one expression of it, the one expectation of it, and finally, the glorious one ending for it. And so if you're willing and able, I want to invite you in honor of reading God's holy word to stand with me as we read Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thank you. This is God's word. You may be seated. So we see in this passage, and as we look into it, and as we try to see the picture within the picture, we're going to see the one example of our true marriage. And no, again, I am not talking about husbands and wives. See, we have a tendency as selfish people, because we all are, when reading scripture, to put ourselves into it and see what it is telling us about us, when in actuality, what is scripture saying about scripture? See, the central theme Paul was talking about in his letter to the church of Ephesus was not the role of husbands and wives. It was that of unity, unity among the church among the body of Christ. And the example he gives us in this passage is that of the example of Christ and the church and the marriage of the two. See, the soul focus is only on Christ and his church. So to take a closer look at the one example, we need to hop forward to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19 gives us the picture within the picture. Revelation 19.6 says this. 
Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It, it, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Did you get it? The marriage of the Lamb has come. Not, not wishy-washy, not if, not maybe, not if the snow and the winds are strong enough, it's going to blow us. No, it's the marriage of the Lamb has come. It's absolutely certain. We see the bride being presented to the bridegroom in marriage. And if you don't hear anything else today, church, I want you to hear this. Marriage is really about Christ and the church. Christ and us. You. See, this is our one true marriage. The example. Jesus Christ is the sacrificial lamb, the bridegroom, and the church, us, is the, is the bride. So let's go into Ephesians 5 a little further so that we can get a little better understanding of this relationship between Christ and his church, the bridegroom and his bride. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. See, here we see the correlation between the bride and the bridegroom. Christ is the head and the church is the body. Now, the Greek for head here only means a responsibility for. Any kind of bad leadership that you think of does not apply to this because the Greek is referring to a responsibility that Christ has for his church, his body, his bride. This is not a domination of or a callous concern for. It's quite the contrary. You see, it's a deep caring and concern for his church, for his body and bride. So much that his sacrifice is what saves it, what saves us. See, the head is responsible for the body, right? So, so if, I, if I want my legs to move here, my head has to tell my legs to move here, right? If I want to stand right here, then my head needs to tell me to stand right here. See, us being the church, his bride, his body, we have a responsibility because we belong to him in submission. We are supposed to submit and yield to the head's Wishes, the head's commands. And I don't know if you've read this next passage in Colossians 1, but it tells us exactly why Christ is the head and why he should be the head. Colossians 1.15 says this. It should be on the screen behind. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him holds all things together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be what? Preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Church, how amazing is it to know that we belong to the owner of all things? Like everything was made for him and through him, and we are made for him and through him, and we belong to him. 
don't you think if he's the owner of all things, that we can count on him being responsible for us? I mean, we should, right? Like if everything is for him and through him, we can trust him to take care of us, right? See, we are his bride and he cares for us deeply with a perfect and sacrificial love that is undeserved and unparalleled. Make no mistake, church, this marriage is like no other. Everything that is and can go wrong here on earth with earthly marriage does not apply to our eternal marriage with Jesus Christ. The bar is set high and rightfully so. So now that we've understood our one example being Christ and the church of our true marriage, let's now look at the one expression of it. In verses 24 through 28, shed light on this expression. And as we look further into this text, now all of a sudden, right, the picture within the picture starts popping out at us. We realize now it's not talking about the role of husbands and wives per se. It's really talking about Christ and his church. See, Paul uses marriage as a metaphor for Christ and his church as an application point of Christ and his church. But the main message is Christ and his church, Christ and you. And so as the marriage of Christ and his church now takes center stage within our text, now we can understand the one expression of our true marriage. See, the expression of the bride and the bridegroom's marriage is that of mutual submission and sacrificial love. Mutual submission and sacrificial love. Let's look at mutual submission for a second. See, for those of us who've put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ alone, we are the bride of Christ. We are his bride. And as a bride, we are to submit to our bridegroom. Verse 24 says this, now as the what? Church submits to Christ. But see, we also have this responsibility as his bride to submit to each other through mutual submission because we're all part of the body of Christ. Ephesians 5.20, just a few verses earlier, tells us this. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of reverence for our bridegroom. This is all because there must be, has to be, unity and oneness with Christ in each other. For the bride and bridegroom are one. They must be. See, Jesus, our bridegroom, actually gives us the best example. You know, to be a good leader, you have to set the example, right? I mean, you hear that all the time, right? If you want people to follow you, then you need to be willing to do what no one else is wanting to do, right? And do it first. And we see this in Philippians chapter 2 of Jesus, our bridegroom. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus is equal to God, yet he gave up everything and submitted to God the Father's commands. Also, Jesus could save his bride. Also, Jesus could save you. He submitted and sacrificed to save us. Which takes us to the next part of our expression, that of sacrificial love. 
we see this expression played out in verse 25. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's very important you get that and, that conjunction, right? That Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, everything that Jesus did was for his bride. Our bridegroom loved us with a selfless and sacrificial love. See, Jesus lived a life the bride could never live. Jesus lived a life you and I could never live. A perfect self-giving life for the sole purpose of redeeming his bride back to him. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus died the death the bride deserved. Jesus died the death that you and I deserve. We, his bride, we've strayed from him. We cheat on him because of sin and pride and selfishness. We're faithless, he is faithful. How good to know that. See, Paul even addresses the bride of Christ, us, and challenges us to the same sacrificial love as that of Christ. In Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us. And, there it is again, gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, we are to walk in sacrificial love as a church, as his bride. We are to follow his leading and example. We are to follow the head. Now we begin to get a clearer picture that is absolutely amazingly beautiful. Get this. How mutual submission and sacrificial love go hand in hand in this most important marriage. What seems to be like two independent expressions are actually one. What a beautiful relationship we see when out of sacrificial love, we submit first to Christ and then to others. And then out of submission, we sacrificially love first to Christ, then to others. See, we see a unity that is like no other because it's bound in oneness with Christ as his bride. So let me ask, does oneness with Christ as his bride, does it make any mark on your day-to-day life? Being one with him, does it have any bearing whatsoever where you're at right now? What you do a few moments from now? Does oneness with Christ as his bride give you a sense of worth and value? It should. Or are we looking for a sense of worth and value in far lesser things? Does oneness with Christ, his bride, give you sense Give you a sense of mission and involvement in his purposes? Or are you completely content sitting idle right there in your seat? So see, we understand the expression of mutual submission and sacrificial love. This now takes us into the one expectation, right? So the one expectation of our one true marriage. And if we look into verses 26 through 30, they help us understand this expectation of our one true marriage. The expectation of our one true marriage is that of sanctification and preparation. And we will see that our bridegroom does both of these acts. Let that sink in. Our bridegroom does both of these acts. I don't know about you. I'm glad he does. Because there's no way that I could. So let's look at sanctification. 
Verse 26 illustrates Christ in his sanctifying of his bride. He says, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. Now, sanctification, it's a big, big, big word. It just means the process of becoming holy, the process of cleansing from sin. It also means being set apart. And the Greek here lends more towards being set apart because that's exactly what happens in marriage, right? The bridegroom sets apart his bride for him. How awesome is it to know that those who trust in Jesus are set apart and claimed as his very own bride. That is outstanding. You, you're mine. You, you're mine. I pluck you up, I pull you out, and I hold on to you because you are mine. You are my bride, mine. If that doesn't communicate worth and value, I don't know what does, church. See, Christ sanctifies his bride through cleansing by the word of God. Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is God in flesh. God's word, the word made flesh. Jesus Christ cleanses us. So it's like meaning this. Christ sets apart his bride, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and who have been cleansed, through the word of God, through the gospel message of Jesus Christ, through the forgiveness of sins that only he could do. Do you get it? He pulls you out and holds on to you because you're his bride. So going along with the sanctification, then we're also looking at the preparation of our one true marriage within that expectation. See, we see further down in verse 29 that Christ nourishes and cleanses, nourishes and cherishes his bride in preparation of the marriage. When you think of nourishes, like nourishing, if I, I always think of like plants, right? Like to get a plant to grow, you gotta nourish it, right? You gotta you got take care of it. You gotta have good soil, water, right? Sometimes you have to like cut it back and prune it, right? That's all nourishing so that the plant can reach its best self, so it can reach its best version. And what we see here is Christ is the one that does the nourishing and cherishing. But notice something very important in verse 29. Stare at it. Does it say nourished and cherished? It's not past tense. It's present tense relating. This is the encouragement, church. Meaning Jesus is continuing to nourish and cleanse, right? Like, not, no past tense, not at all going on right now. In spite of our current struggle with sin, in spite of our current failures, in spite of our current ugliness, Jesus Christ continually and in an ongoing manner nourishes and cleanses his bride, his very own bride, you. So how does he nourish? Through God's very own word. See, the more we study the word of God, the more we fall in love with Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. You know, I can't help but think of an example where God's word was used to sanctify, cleanse, and nourish someone in the most difficult of circumstances. Often you hear Scott and the pastors up here quote Charles Spurgeon, dynamic preacher, like just he was gifted by God to do that. And if you've never read one of his sermons, I challenge you, go look one up and read it and you will see what I'm talking about. It's just the way with words that he had to explain scripture is outstanding. 
But most of us don't know about his wife, Susanna Spurgeon. A book came out last year entitled Susie. And it talks about her life. And see, Susie, the first 35 years of life, was very active. She did a lot of, like, hikes and walking out in God's creation. She had a big family, kids. Um, she would go to Paris. She would study the culture. She would even learn the language. Uh, French, I never got. Uh, I marginally get English. So, But Susie's active lifestyle abruptly ended. She suffered a life-changing medical condition, either tumor or endometriosis. Not good. But here's the kicker of it all. It left her homebound for the rest of her life. Can you imagine being homebound for the rest of your life? My beautiful wife, she stays at home with our five, soon-to-be six kids. All she wants to do is get out. And I don't blame her. I don't blame her, right? And I mean, I have the blessing of coming to work and, and, and talking to normal people, right? She doesn't, and, and like, all she's wanting is like, I just want to get out. Even if I'm grocery shopping, just let me go, let me go. And, and I get it. Could you imagine being homebound for the rest of your life? And what's worse is she's a preacher's wife, wants to be with the rest of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and she physically can't. So you know what Charles does? He sets aside Saturday mornings to minister to her directly. Sets aside time specifically to minister to her. You want to know how he did it? By allowing her to read commentaries to help him in sermon prep. To read God's word to help him with sermon prep. Here's what Susie said about God's own word. Never was occupation more delightful, instructive, and spiritually helpful my heart is often burned within me as the meaning of some passage of God's word has been opened up and the hidden stores of wisdom and knowledge have been revealed. Or when the marrow and fatness of a precious promise or doctrine has been spread like a dainty banquet before my admiring eyes. Who talks like that? I tell you who talks like that. Someone who is truly in love with her bridegroom. And I'm not talking about Charles. She was so in love with Jesus Christ that she yearned for his very word. Her earthly husband even nurtured and facilitated within her a deeper and richer love for her true bridegroom. Our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Is this something you do? Married or unmarried? Are you so fond of God's very own word that you can't help but encourage growth and affection for him through its reading in others? Or do you just want to keep it to yourself? See, the expectation of our true marriage is through sanctification and that preparation. But now we see the one example comes down to an ending. Our one true marriage has one example, one expression, one expectation, all for one glorious ending. And I alluded to it earlier. Our one ending is the presentation and marriage of the bride to the bridegroom. Did you catch it in verse 27 when we read it earlier? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The presentation of the bride is contingent upon the perfection of the bride being presented to the bridegroom. Without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, absolutely, unequivocally, completely 
perfect. Church, I find this amazingly phenomenal. That Jesus Christ sacrificed himself to make us holy. Also that on the final wedding day, his perfection in us that has completely cleansed us now allows for us to be presented to him pure and holy. It's all him. You think of a bride now getting ready for her wedding day, on, on the wedding day. Oh, my word, all this stuff. All the makeup, maybe hairspray, I don't know. Right? Like, it's a lot of work. And the bride does all the prep, right? Right? Here's the problem. That's not biblical. <laughs> what we see here is the bridegroom is doing the work. My wife is so thankful that her bridegroom, earthly bridegroom, did not try to prepare her for presentation to me. I know a little of flat irons. I don't know much of makeup. And I know it's funny and it seems silly, but this is exactly what Christ does for us. See, we're coming to him dirty and messed up, marked and reeking with sin. He is coming to us beautifully clean and perfect. Notice all the effort of our bridegroom. He did the impossible for his love, his bride, for us. It's his perfection that cleanses his bride. It's his sacrifice and submission to God, the Father, that sanctifies us, that sets us apart. It's all him. And once the bride is presented to the bridegroom, the marriage occurs. Remember Re Revelation 19, right? For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. There's so much hope and promise in that one verse. Now don't be confused, church. The bride has made herself ready through her belief and faith in Jesus Christ alone. It is nothing that we do. It is our faith in Jesus Christ alone to do the work for us that allows for us to be married to him. It's not contradicting earlier the work of the bridegroom when it says the bride has made herself ready. In fact, it supports the work of the bridegroom by implying the faithfulness of us to him because of his efforts for us. Paul kind of rounds out the marriage metaphor in Ephesians 31, verses 31 and 32, where it says, the two shall become one flesh. You hear that most of the time if you go to a wedding these days, right? Like they either quote Ephesians or Genesis and say, the two shall become one flesh. And Paul comes right out the gate and says, look, this is a mystery, but it's about Christ and the church. This is absolutely dumbfounding, but it's about Christ and the church. That this wedding of the bride to the bridegroom creates a unity, a oneness between the pair like no other is absolutely outstanding. Listen, I can never be a better spouse than Jesus is. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen how Jesus has been more faithful to my wife, my bride, than I have to her. I have seen more times how he has loved her better, completely perfect, better than I can. I try my hardest, but I'm messed up. 
We all are. Church, Charles Spurgeon says this, of Jesus Christ and his bride, buckle up. The Savior who loved, I'm going to pause. The Savior who loved, not because there was loveliness in his church, but in order to make her lovely. You perceive he loved his church and gave himself for it that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He did not admire her because there was no spot in her. He did not choose her because she had no wrinkle, but fixed his affections where there were multitudinous spots and wrinkles. Where everything was deformity, he still set his heart and would not withdraw till he had loved the spots away and loved every wrinkle out of her who was the object of his choice. That's got bearing on all of us. Let me read it a different way. He did not admire me because there was no spot in me. He did not choose me because I had no wrinkle, but fixed his affections where there were multitudinous spots and wrinkles, where everything was deformity, where everything was decay, everything was dead. He still set his heart and would not withdraw till he had loved my spots away and loved every wrinkle out of me who was the object of his choice. How glorious it is to know that that he cleanses, that he loves, that he purifies, and that he claims us as his. You talk about an insatiable, unyielding, unrelenting love that Jesus has for us, his bride. It's unbelievable. But we can believe it because it's in Scripture. See, if you're a Christian today, that's, that's good news. Like, if that does not get you excited, I don't know what in the world's going to get you excited. But we have application for everybody in this passage. Listen, for unmarried Christians out there today, your identity is not anchored in your marital status now. Your identity is anchored in your marital status then. You can be confident in God's word that he is using this time to prepare you for a greater relationship, a greater reality, your one true marriage with Jesus. Search God's word for his promises. Cling to those promises. You can go see about attending one of our Be the Church workshops and find out how you can connect with the body of Christ to remind you of the hope you have for that glorious wedding day that will come. For formerly married Christians, the oneness and unity with Christ through this true marriage is eternal and inseparable. It is unending and not breaking. It will not break, it will not end. This is your hope. This is your worth and value. He promises unity with him throughout the rest of eternity. You can be confident in his perfect and unending love and commitment to you. So let me ask this. How can you serve the body of Christ in a way that reminds you of your oneness to your true bridegroom? 
for married Christians out there. Listen, you need to realize that your current marriage cannot, will not be all, end all. It's just not all. Greg Lanier of the Gospel Coalition says, says it better. Marriage between one man and one woman is a beautiful gift of God. But it cannot bear the weight of serving as your ultimate end. Attempting to make it do so will lead to frustration, bitterness, and dissolution, or the idolatry of spouse, or child worship. Such is the misstep of our age. And you know, as a family pastor, it breaks my heart when I see that we put, we drop everything for our kids. Why don't we drop everything for Jesus? My kids aren't cleansing me. They're refining me. They are stretching me. But they're not doing any of the work that matters. Yet we're willing to drop absolutely everything for them to pursue sports, to pursue this and that. Let's help them pursue Jesus. Or it's so easy to look at my spouse and say, I love you so much, I would do anything for you. And I'm not willing to do anything for Jesus, my true bridegroom. It's very convicting. That's what the gospel message does. Your current marriage is a preparation for the eternal marriage with Christ. How can you practice mutual submission and sacrificial love to your spouse this week in preparing them for their true bridegroom? Is there a way that you can minister to your spouse this week in a way that reminds them of their true bridegroom's love and affection for them? I challenge you. I'm not foolish to think that we're all happily married Christians here. For those of you unhappily married Christians, listen. You have a reassurance in Christ Jesus that the brokenness of your present marriage, even a failed one, has a heavenward significance. That Christ's ultimate healing of you, his bride, removes all present wounds and conflicts on that great day. Surround yourself with those who will encourage and remind you of the faithfulness of your true bridegroom. But here's a challenge. And this is hard. Can you find a way this week to extend grace and love to your spouse in a way that points them to and gives a tangible expression of what your true bridegroom has done for you? For happily married Christians, it only gets better, right? Your eternal marriage with Jesus is even better than the one you have right now. Live for this hope and expectation. Continue to prepare your spouse for Christ Jesus on that glorious day. For those who are not a Christian, I hope you've seen today the immense and powerful hope that is only in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. That his love and desire for you to turn to him and trust is paramount. For you to see your sin and repent and ask forgiveness. To ask him to cleanse you from within. To ask him to be your true bridegroom forever and ever. See, today is the day to turn from yourself and turn to Jesus. After service, we'll have elders down front here who would love to talk to you about taking your next step towards Jesus. Now, there's two other action steps for us. One, married, put the marriage conference on your calendar, April 26th and 27th. Get here. It'll be a blast. 
but for everybody else. Join a D group. Married, unmarried, we've got a spot for you. Join a D group. Remember we talked about how do you stir your affections for Jesus, our true bridegroom? His word. D groups are meant to do that, to challenge us in our relationship with Jesus, the most important relationship of all. Join a D group. Go out to the info counter. Talk to Chris. Talk to someone. Say, get me connected. Okay, I want to close with this encouragement, and then we're done. We're all dirty. We're all faulty. That is an encouragement. Because we're all dirty and faulty. We're all wrinkled and blemished. But thanks be to God our Father through Jesus Christ that we can be made clean and pure, holy and righteous, and dwell with him forever. Romans 8 says it the best. For I am sure. Notice that. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can what? Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, you are amazing. God, it's you that's holy. It's thus us that are not. And God, we thank you that your perfection in Jesus Christ is what enables us to be holy. God, stir our affections for you. God, help us to live for you, to follow you, our bridegroom, our head. God, thank you that you are faithful. God, thank you that you care so deeply for us. God, help us to sacrificially love. God, help us to submit to you. God, help us to love others. God, we, we ask that you help us. Help us to stay faithful to you. God, thank you that you are forever faithful that your love is steadfast, sure, and true. God, thank you that we can be Jesus' bride. God, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and grace. God, we love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name.